0: I'm are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Can you just say amen right there in your living room? Amen. Right where you are, you can say amen. I want to encourage you to do just that. As I said, we are focusing in the month of December on on the theme, finishing strong. We want to finish strong. And I want to remind you that the theme for 2020 is moving with God. Now, when we established that theme, I believe the Lord gave us that theme. We had no clue what was coming in 2020. We just knew that the Lord had said that it's time to move with him. The only thing we knew was that we were moving our main campus from Emoryville to El Cerrito when we began talking about moving with God, uh, not knowing that there would be a pandemic and that there would be Uh, political unrest, and there'd be all kinds of stuff happening. And so we have done so well, I believe, moving with God. We have weathered one of the greatest storms in recent history. We have endured one of the most difficult and trying years in modern history, and we are still standing, even though we have suffered many losses, and those losses for some of us include the loss of loved ones. For others, it includes the loss of a job, the loss of financial well-being, uh, we have lost the ability to go out and sit at restaurants and to connect with friends and family members in ways we used to. We have lost so much, but, w- but we are still standing and we are still here. And the fact that you are still standing means that your success rate in handling trials is 100%. It means that there has never been a trial that has been able to take you out in all of these years that you've been alive. And so I want to encourage us uh, that we are still standing uh, but we have to finish strong. The fact that I'm still standing right now does not mean that I will finish strong. And uh, sometimes right at the end of the battle, we lose our position. And if we lose our position at the end of the battle, uh, it's, it's the, the outcome is not always good. And just just to give you a little example, I'm, I want to go to this video, um, the, the soccer video. Daniel, soccer video. And I want you to see uh, what happens here. So the video's coming up now, and uh, watch, watch what happens here. Okay, this this guy, he's he's getting ready to kick, and the uh, the goalie is gonna block. Right now, watch what happens. Did the kick happen? Okay, kick happens. He blocks it. Right now, the goalie is celebrating, and the kicker is mourning. But watch the ball. The goalie is celebrating too soon, and the kicker is mourning too soon. You see, this this represents us sometimes. Sometimes we're in a situation where we're the goalie and we celebrate too soon. What's happening with the ball? Where's the ball? It, it went in. You see that? The, the goalie started celebrating before the play was over. And the kicker started grieving before the play was over. Now, sometimes you and I are like the goalie and other times we're like the kicker. Sometimes we mourn too soon and the play is not over. It looks over to us, but it's not over. And other times we celebrate too soon, but the play is not over. It looks like it's over, but it's not over. What I'm saying to you is 2020 is not over. Now, am I saying it's wrong to mourn? No, it's not wrong to mourn. Am I saying it's wrong to rejoice? No, it's not wrong to rejoice. The key is not to prevent yourself from mourning or rejoicing. But if you mourn, you must mourn from your position. And if you celebrate, you must celebrate from your position. You see, the problem with both the kicker and the goalie was not that they mourned or celebrated, but that they left their positions. Had the goalie stayed at his position and celebrated while remaining alert, there's no way that ball would have just rolled right past him. And sometimes we lose our alertness and we walk away from our position before the play is over. And in doing so, the enemy is able to just sneak one right, it just rolls right past us. Uh, An attack of the enemy that we could have easily fended off in our sleep, that a five-year-old girl could have fended off. Didn't have to be a professional soccer player to fend that off, but he wasn't alert. And when we are not alert even the smallest and weakest attacks of the enemy tend to get right through, and the enemy scores goals on us right and left. Now, uh, last Sunday, uh, my wife gave us the, the the first and perhaps the most powerful ingredient in the recipe for finishing strong, and that ingredient that she gave us was Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And uh, she talked about how Thanksgiving affects not only your spiritual life, but it also affects your mental well-being, and it also even affects your physical body. How lack of thanksgiving poisons your mind and your physical body and your spiritual walk with God. But thanksgiving heals not only your spiritual walk with God, but also your your mentality and your physical body as well. If you didn't get that message last week, you need to go back and listen to it because that was a powerful word from God. I was strengthened and encouraged by that message. I believe you you will be too. Today, I wanna give you a second ingredient. And that second ingredient for finishing strong is this love not the world if you're in a house with somebody else say love not the world look at look at somebody else in your household and say love not the world if you're sitting by yourself i want you to drop it in the chat and say love not the world now we're going to look at first john chapter 2 verses 15 through 17. Sorry, I don't have slides today. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to read it to you from the New King James Version. This is what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of the father he who does the will of God abides forever do not love the world love not the world number one First ingredient in that recipe, thanksgiving. Interactive gratitude. Number two, do not love the world. Ungratefulness plus love of the world means that the enemy's gonna get that soccer ball right by you and into the goal, right? But if you wanna stand your ground to the very end and finish strong, number one, give thanks to God, practice interactive gratitude, and number two, do not love the world. Now let's break this down a little bit. What is John talking about when he says, Do not love the world? The first thing that we need to do is address the elephant in the room, because anyone who knows even one verse of scripture at all, if you're even remotely familiar with the Bible, you know John chapter 3, verse 16. And what does John 3:16 say? For God so loved the world. And it's the same cat who's writing 1 John. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Same guy says, for God so loved the world, and he says, do not love the world. Now, at first I thought he had to use two different Greek words. If, if I had my guess, he used the word cosmos in John chapter 3, verse 16, and he used the word aeon in First John chapter 2, verse, verse 15. And so I looked up the Greek of both passages, and I was wrong. Uh, he actually used the words cosmos in both. Uh, but the key to solving this seeming contradiction is that he uses the same word in different ways in these two verses. How is it that we can love the world and not love the world at the same time? Well, John explains it if we look at the context of the two verses. First of all, in John 3:16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever. So the object that he's speaking of in describing the world in John 3:16 is the whosoever. But if you get to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. So in John 3, 16, his definition of the world is the people. God loves the people so much that he gave his only begotten son. But in 1 John 2, verse 15, he says, Don't love the things of the world. You love the people of the world like God does, but you don't love the things of the world because God doesn't. And John says, if you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Meaning you cannot love the Father and love the things of the world at the same time. Do not love the world or the things of the world, the things that are in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, which means... That if I'm walking in love of the world, I cannot be simultaneously walking in the love of God. It means that the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, when it detects the presence of the love of the world, it departs. That is a scary, scary statement. I want to keep myself in the love of God. I want to be overflowing with the love of God. But I cannot, as long as I am harboring, hosting the love of the world. So we need to determine what that means and make sure that I'm not loving the world so that I can walk in the love of God. Why? Because if I'm loving the world, that becomes the greatest hindrance to my thankfulness. I cannot practice interactive gratitude like Pastor Sonny talked about last week if I'm simultaneously walking in the love of the world. The love of the world drives out the love of God, but simultaneously, the love of God drives out. The love of the world and so today the spirit of god is inviting us to make a choice choose the love of god right all right now we're going to get into this so first of all john says do not love the world the word love there um, some of us know that there are three different greek terms used in the new testament for the word love sometimes when you see the word love in the new testament it is the translation of the greek term eros Eros has to do with romantic love. It is the, the type of romantic love that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden, the type of romantic love that Adam knew Eve and she conceived and bore a son. That type of love is a kind of love that God has given to humanity. Uh, eros, that's one type of word, but that's not the word that John uses here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, the second word for love is phileo. And phileo, uh, you know, the city of uh, Philadelphia. Phileo uh, delphia, uh, delphia meaning uh, delphos is brothers so philadelphia a city of brotherly love um i'm sorry city uh, phileo is brotherly love it's camaraderie it's it's uh um, it's like my, my homie my dog my you know uh yeah my road dog like that's that's brotherly love that's phileo but that's not the kind of love that uh, god is speaking of here in first john chapter 2 verse 15 but the third term for love is agape and agape is unconditional love agape is the kind of love that would cause you to lay down your life for your friend, where Jesus says, greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. Or Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love, that you agape one another. So it's more than camaraderie, it's more than I like you a lot, it's more than I really enjoy hanging out with you, it's more than I'm happy to be in your community group. It actually means the kind of love that God has us to ha- calls us to have for one another is agape love, which would cause us to lay down our lives for one another. Now actually, um, the reference to this is uh, Matthew chapter 22, I believe it's verse 36, in there, or verse 32, where Jesus is asked by one of the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your mind, and with all your soul, and then he says that this is the first and greatest commandment of the law, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Jesus, when he he speaks of the greatest commandment, he says the greatest commandment is get your love right. Make sure your love is aimed in the right direction. Make sure you're loving the right things. Number one, love God. Make sure God is the primary object of your love. And number two, love one another. Make sure the, the one another is the secondary object of your love. And if God is the primary object of your love, and if brothers and sisters are the secondary, literally all of humanity, because Jesus not only taught us to love one another, our disciples, our fellow disciples, but he said, love your neighbor. Right? And then he said, love your enemies. I mean, anyone can love those who love them, but he said in John 5, love your enemies. So shall you be sons of your Father in heaven who sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Right? And so loving God and loving people, that is the epitome of every command. Matter of fact, there's really, uh, Pastor Mike Perkinson talks about the irreducible core of the Christian faith. It comes down really to three things. Number one, love God. Number two, love people. And number three, make disciples. And what does it mean to make disciples? It means to teach them to love God and to love people. And to teach them to make disciples. And how do you teach people to make disciples? Teach them to teach people to love God and to love people and to make disciples. Every failure of discipleship comes down to a failure of love for God or a failure of love for people. It's extremely simple. And so John gives us the negative aspect of this here in 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17. He says, do not love the world. What do you mean? And he says, if, the, if you're loving the world, the love of the Father is not in you. What he means is, you failed at the greatest commandment of the law. But I'm giving my tithe. Yes, but you failed at the greatest commandment of the law. But I, I come to every service. Yes, but you failed at the greatest commandment of the law. But I'm serving a ministry. Yes, but the greatest commandment is love God and love people. And you cannot do so if you're loving the world. So then he breaks it down a bit further, and he explains, he says, for all that is in the world, and then he describes all that is in the world, meaning the system of the world, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So in defining the world that we're not to love, he boils it down to these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life and he says these three things are not of the father but are of the world and then he says and the world is passing away meaning all these three things they're going to pass away fade away die, be destroyed with the world and if we attach ourselves to these three things we're going to be destroyed with them but he says he who does the will of the father abides forever so what is the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life the lust of the flesh the way I understand these three things, the lust of the flesh is the desire for flesh. Yeah. That is, the desire, it, it means first and foremost, it has to do with an inordinate desire for sexual pleasure and an inordinate desire for material things. It's greed. It's looking out at stuff that can sat- satisfy you tactily, stuff that can satisfy you through the five senses of, of your physical body and wanting those things. It is the inordinate desire to satisfy your physical body with material things. That's what the lust of the flesh is. Now, I I want us to understand that in actuality, sexual pleasure is not evil, it just has a context. And that context is marriage between a man and a woman. That is the clear biblical context in which God gives us appropriate sexual pleasure. Same thing, material things are not evil, but they simply have a context, right? And the context of material things is honesty, um, generosity, and divine favor. And so when those three things come together, where number one, everything I have, I've come by it honestly, number two, uh, I respond to that that with, with generosity. And number three, it's all the fruit of divine favor and divine blessing that God has given me, right? And so there's a context for that. But what J- John is not saying, don't enjoy these things. He's saying, don't lust for them. Don't have an inordinate inordinate desire for them. You see, your love is determined by your aspiration. Your love because love always begets aspiration. Yeah. Whatever you are aspiring to, that is what you are loving. Whatever you are dreaming of obtaining, that's what you are loving. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. If you say that you love God, then you must have some holy aspiration. Yeah. That is, there must be some deep desire on the inside of your heart to acquire something that comes from God. But if you, if you would stop and examine your aspirations... And if all you see is a new job or a new car or an increase in pay or more money or, a, a, you know, a, um, higher promotion or, or, or more riches or, or whatever it is, you're actually moving in the lust of the flesh because your aspirations are set on the things of this world and there's no holy aspiration on the inside of you that longs for more of God. And so how do you overcome the lust of the flesh? Do you do so by simply, I'm just going to stop wanting those things? No, you can't stop wanting those things, but what you can do is replace them by setting your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and setting your aspirations upon him. And one of the ways that's helpful for me is to draw close to people in my life who are walking at a higher level of intimacy with God than I am, and then setting my affections on imitating their faith watching the way they live and saying, God, I want that. God, I want that kind of intimacy with you. God, I want that kind of depth in your presence. I want that. If there's no desire in you to emulate the godly, then your affections are set on the world. If you want to be like Steve Jobs or 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 uh, Zuckerberg or, or whoever, you want to be like uh, Brad Pitt. I don't know. Like if... <laughs> If your number one desire is to be like something or someone that you see in the world, you're operating in the lust of the flesh. There's a couple verses here uh, in Proverbs. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Did you hear that? Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for for the fear of the Lord all day. Can I say to you that one of the primary reasons why people do not turn to Christ is because when they look at believers in Jesus Christ, they don't see people that they want to be like, they see people who want to be like them. They see people who are still longing for more of the world. And if, if my heart is full of longing for more of the world, then when unbelievers see me, they see nothing of me that they want to be like because I'm just like them. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Being zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day means setting my affections and my aspirations yeah. upon the holiness of God. And This is one of the most powerful evangelistic things that we could ever do. Proverbs 24 one says, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them and so our affections our desires are often set on the things of the world and that's the lust of the flesh and then John goes on to talk about the lust of the eyes so just as the lust of the flesh is the desire the inordinate inordinate desire for physical material things that can satisfy my physical material body the lust of the eyes is the desire for more eyes more eyes to be on me more people to see me more people to know me more recognition more fame more affirmation look at me see me i want more people to see me and know me and and i want more likes on my facebook and i want more follows on my youtube and i want i want more subscribers and i want more 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 I I want more awards and I just want to be successful and I want to be seen. And and we set our affections on the eyes of others, seeking our affirmation from people instead of from God. The lust of the eyes is opposite of the love of God. Because the love of God means I only want one set of eyes to be on me. I'm only conscious of one who is looking at me. The scripture says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. We don't realize that if we focus our attention on obtaining the eyes of the world, we simultaneously lose the eyes of God. We forget that friendship with the world is enmity against God. We forget that, that the only thing that matters is if God's eyes are on me. Now once again, is it wrong to be known? Is it wrong to be affirmed? Is it wrong to be loved by people? Absolutely not. It's not wrong even to be famous, it's not wrong. The problem is when you lust after the eyes of people. The problem is not God. Matter of fact, when God blesses you, he will cause the eyes of the people to look to you. He told Joshua, this day I'm going to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel. There's a moment where God exalts you in the eyes of other people, and that's God's desire. But God cannot exalt you in the eyes of people as long as you are lusting after their eyes. When my desire is only for God's eyes and only for God's ears, that's when he says, now I'm going to have to set you before God a multitude of people. And that's what he did for David, right? The lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life, the pride of life in this one is perhaps the most devastating. The pride of life simply comes down to a lack of urgency. The pride of life is the assumption that I've got all the time in the world. That I can walk in the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh because God's grace is sufficient for me and all that and there's no no urgency in me to get it right. The lack of urgency, it is knowing that I'm walking in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, but doing nothing about it because number one, I have no lack of urgency, and number two, I just assume that I've got all the time in the world. That's pride. At the end of the day, pride comes down to an inability to repent. The psalmist says in one point, he says, An oracle is in my heart concerning the wickedness of the wicked, for there is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his eyes, he flatters himself too much to see or detect his own sin. He flatters himself too much to see or detect his own sin. A complete and total lack of urgency. We are urgent about so many things. But at one point, have we ever turned our urgency towards the Lord? We're urgent when it comes to needing our money. We're urgent when it comes to needing to talk through something with our wife or our husband. We're urgent when it comes to getting our kids, you know, schooling in order and in line. We're urgent when it comes to uh, stuff in the house that has to be done. But when has there ever been an urgency in my heart that says, I got to get this right with God? i got to set my affections on God. You see, all of us detect moments when we're walking in the the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. The question is, is there an urgency to get right with God? Or do we simply wallow in it? You see, there's a difference between falling into a pit of of sin and of the flesh and then immediately getting up and saying, I will return to my father. Immediately jumping up and saying, no, 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 I'm going to go get this right with God right now. There's a difference between that and falling in the pit and just saying, oh, well. I guess I'll hang out here for a while. Thank God that he's gracious. Love not the world. Don't love it. Don't love it. And this is the great paradox within which our faith develops. The great paradox is that it's God's He delights to give us the kingdom. It's his good pleasure, he said. And he gives us all things freely to enjoy. It's his pleasure. Because we can take this message so far as to mean that if you've enjoyed anything that you have in life, you're in the flesh. If you've received any recognition at all, you're in the flesh. And that's not what it means at all. He gives us all things freely to enjoy. The key to avoiding the love of the world is simply to ensure that my heart is focused on the love of God, that my primary aspiration is always something from heaven, that my primary aspiration is always, always, always something from heaven. Yeah. And when I sense that my primary aspiration is something of this world, that's when I simply turn my heart to the Lord in prayer because oftentimes it's something that God desires to give you anyway. And my worry is that if I turn my heart away from that aspiration, I'll never get it. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe I won't. But I think we think way too little of God in that regard. And we forget that He loves to give more than we love to receive. That He desires to bless us far more than we desire to be blessed. That He loves to see His children rejoice in His favor. That He desires to clothe us with favor as with a shield. The problem is we simply don't trust Him. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes... Is our desire to obtain by our own power yeah. that which God has already determined to give us yeah. by His power. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we deify the blessing and demote the blesser. It's time for us to demote the blessing, to prioritize the blesser above the blessing, because how does it make any sense to desire the blessing but not the blesser isn't it better infinitely better to have the blesser than to have the blessing isn't it infinitely better to know that his eyes are upon you to be able to say as david said i have set the lord always at my always before me because he is at my right hand i shall not be moved knowing that god's eyes were upon him he was able to say my heart rejoices Does my heart rejoice when I know that God, his eyes are on me? My tongue also will be glad. My body also will rest in hope. Some of you have had anxiety in the night seasons and it's simply because there's a longing in you and an aspiration in you to possess that which is just out of your reach. And you're trying to close that gap by your own power. You're struggling and you're striving and you're longing and you're aspiring and you're wanting and you're wanting and you're wanting and today the call of god is not to give up those aspirations but to demote them to deprioritize them to dethrone them, to take them down from the highest place in your life and to enthrone God in his rightful place and say, God, it's you that I want. You are my desire. Whom have I in heaven but you? And what is there on earth that I desire apart from you? My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. It's you that I want. It's you that I desire. It's you, God. And you, and listen, don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that you can't do that. That's a lie. You can't do it by your own power, but the moment you turn your heart to the Lord, the Holy Spirit will empower you to make God the number one love of your life, the heart of your aspiration. Love not the world. Mm -hmm. Do not love the world. Jesus says this, for those of you that are bound by sin, struggling to get free and can't seem to find the path out of the darkness that the enemy has drawn your soul into and tied you up. Jesus gives this promise. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a promise, which means that the pathway out of every form of disobedience is loving Jesus, taking time every day to turn your affection toward Jesus. To just begin to say, Jesus, I love you. And I know the moment you say, Jesus, I love you, the devil's going to lie to you and say, no, you don't. No, you don't no you don't you don't love Jesus look at all of the disobedience in your listen you need to stomp on that power of the devil and say yes I do Jesus I love you I love you and even say Lord I'm speaking this by faith I'm speaking this by faith I love you I love you with my soul I love you with my heart I love you with my mind because as you speak that affirmation that love that adoration and that affection to Jesus something's gonna begin to change in your heart and mind but you need to love him in the morning you need to love him in the afternoon you need to love him at night communicating love Love for Jesus. Practicing intentional love for Jesus in conjunction with the thanksgiving that my wife taught us how to do last week. You're going to finish strong. You're going to finish strong. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on. I want you to bow your head right now. Bow your head right now and let's pray because you need to do this right now. This is a step that you need to take. I want to I I exhort you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would move in the direction of this word, that you would practice. You cannot by your own power stop loving the the world, but you can by the power of the Holy Spirit start loving the Lord. And if you would intentionally direct your adoration and your affection toward the Lord Jesus, when the love of God comes in, it will drive out the love of the world. It's just gonna happen naturally. It's going to happen naturally. The Holy Spirit will do it. You simply have to focus. And every time, if you fail, if you fall into sin, or if something happens and you know you've messed up, immediately go back to adoring Jesus. Just begin to speak adoration to Jesus. Just begin to speak it every time. Immediately. Don't wallow in shame. Don't wallow in self-condemnation. Don't wallow in guilt. Don't lay on the floor and have a pity party and talk about how horrible you are and how terrible you are and how God should probably just kill you. Stop it. You're, spe- you're becoming Satan's prophet when you do that. You might as well thus say. Might as well say, thus saith Satan, I'm horrible, I'm terrible. That's not what God is saying. What God is saying is what any good father would say when his child poops all over themselves. What if your child pooped on themselves and then laid on the floor and said, I'm so nasty, I'm so horrible, and your father's standing there going, come to me, let me clean you up, come to me, I'll clean you up, and then, "No, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm just so horrible, I'm so terrible, and I'm nasty. Yes, you are, but if you come to me, I'll make you not nasty. I'll wash you, and I'll cleanse you, and I'll re-clothe you, I'll put clean clothes on you. That's what the Father is saying to you today, and this is why he sent his only begotten son, because remember, John three sixteen. God so loved the world, meaning the people of the world. He hates the things of the world, that is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But he loves you. And even if you're walking in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and he hates those things, he still loves you. And what he's looking for is the one that he loves to come running to him just as you are not to try to clean yourself up first but come running to him just as you are. The song that we used to sing in the old church I grew up in said, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Spend less time hating yourself and more time loving Jesus. Stop hating yourself and start loving Jesus. Stop rebuking yourself and start blessing Jesus. Stop talking about yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop worrying about yourself and start loving Jesus. Stop saying how dirty you are and start saying how holy he is, how clean he is, how beautiful he is. It's not about you anyway. Stop making it about you. Make it about him just as I am without one plea. I want you right now, wherever you are, to open your mouth and begin to articulate your love for Jesus. Just begin to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I adore you. Jesus, I bless you. I love you, Jesus. I set my affections on you. From this day forward, I want to be like you. I desire your holiness. I want to partake of your holiness and of your righteousness. You said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You promised in God today, I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. Fill me with your righteousness. Transform me by your holiness. Jesus, I love you. I adore you. Come on, just speak that out right now. Speak it out right now. Speak it out right now. Jesus, I adore you. I adore you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. How I love you. How I love you. How I love you. Jesus, how I love you. I bless you. I bless you. Freedom is coming right now as you communicate your love for Jesus. O oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us, we pray. Oh come, let us adore him. Oh come, let us adore him. Oh come, we don't know how powerful adoration is when you adore him. It's the power of freedom. The power of freedom is in your adoration. Adore him. Adore him. Adore him. Holy Spirit right now fall on every soul, on every heart, and every mind. I can sense it right now. The Holy Spirit is coming right where you are. He's touching you. He's setting you free. I just, as the word came forth and as the truth went forth, the Holy, some of you have just slipped deep down into the lie. You were in this dark place of self-condemnation and and and, self-pity and all of these things that didn't know how to get free from the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But today the Holy Spirit is setting you free and bringing you back into that place deep love for Jesus because that love for Jesus was already on the inside of you. It was already there. It was already there. And the love of God, it departs from our hearts when we walk in the love of the the world, but it waits right at the door. He doesn't abandon us. He simply waits. He says, I'm going to step out and I'll I'll be right here at the door, but I'm going to stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. He's always ready to come sit at the table with you. And so, Father, I just speak your blessing over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. I bless those who are near and those who are far. And, Father, as we're entering into this Christmas season and we're focusing our attention on the child born in Bethlehem, may our affection be directed toward the child born in Bethlehem. Lord, somehow in our culture, we've taken an event A celebration that's supposed to be about you and made it about ourselves so that the question we ask is what do you want for Christmas instead of what gift are you bringing to the child born in Bethlehem? Make us like the wise men who traveled across the world not to receive, but for the great privilege of bringing their treasures and laying them before the child born in Bethlehem. We set our affections on you today. We give you all of the great, all the glory, and all of the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Now listen, if you're here today under the sound of my voice, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you opened your heart to Him right there, if you communicated your love to Him right right at that moment, if you responded to that altar, you may not know it, but you just began your walk with God. Does it mean you're perfect? No. But it means you began your walk with God, and if you prayed that prayer that I just asked you to pray, if you actually communicated your love for Jesus and said, I wanna partake of your holiness and I wanna walk in your righteousness, drive out my sin and enter in, if your heart prayed that along with me, I just want you to drop in the chat and say, I prayed that prayer. I'm talking specifically to those who do not know Jesus, that before this service started, you were not walking with him. If you were walking with Jesus already, you know, I'm glad you prayed it again. All of us recommit our lives to Jesus every day. But I'm specifically speaking to those who might be starting their walk with Christ afresh and anew. And if that's you, just drop it in the chat. There's also a link that's being dropped in the chat. Or actually, you can you can just click the link that says um, that you're requesting, I, that raise your hand. It says, I raised my hand, right? Yes, if you just click that and say, I raised my hand, I just committed my life to Jesus. Somebody will pray with you right now in the chat. We have leaders that are waiting to pray with you. And if you need prayer for anything, you can request prayer in the chat and somebody will pray with you right now. Amen. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I just want to strengthen and encourage each and every one of you that we're going to finish strong. But we finish strong this year by practicing every day intentional thanksgiving and every day intentional love for Jesus. Direct your adoration to him amen I'm gonna ask my wife to come now and we're gonna close in just a second we love each and every one of you we're so thankful to God for what he's doing Mm. amen amen God ain't she pretty
1: handsome
0: she's so pretty he's so skinny now right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this hair is just so perfect and <laughs>
1: You know, I just want to add to what my husband said. You know, we started 2020 really strong with the kingdom first, right? Mm-hmm. We all prayed and sought God's heart and we committed to give towards God's kingdom. We started strong. And then in the middle Of the year, we may have been distracted by a pandemic Mm. or discouragement or loneliness or depression, Mm. right? We may have been been distracted, but you know what? We have two weeks left Mm. and we can end Mm. 2020 strong. You can end this year strong. How? By giving God Mm. intentional thanksgiving and by ending this year by loving Jesus, Mm. by shifting our hearts and our focus on loving jesus so good yeah. let's end lineage church let's end 2020 strong mm-hmm. through thanksgiving mm-hmm. and by setting our hearts to love jesus amen 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 Amen. shall we pray
0: yeah go ahead pray us out
1: so father we thank you mm-hmm that you've given us your grace to end 2020 strong because the name of Jesus is above everything. The name of Jesus is above everything the pandemic. The name of Jesus is above the the political division. The name of Jesus is even above any sickness or pain Mm -hmm. that we may have experienced. Mm -hmm. So we lift up the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The word of God says the righteous run into it and and they are that's safe right. mm-hmm. so we lift up the name of Jesus yes. god we we turn our hearts and loving you mm-hmm. god uh, uh, we're going to end this year by turning our hearts mm-hmm. turning our aspiration and our focus to loving you mm-hmm. so holy mm-hmm. spirit will you teach us how to love jesus yes, god. Yes, god. every day mm-hmm. for the rest of this year lord yes, god. we thank you mm-hmm. may you be glorified mm-hmm. Through the last days of our 2020, Lord, Mm -hmm. in Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.